I'd like to turn to Genesis chapter number 22 and read. I'm going to go out on a limb and put myself in a box and say briefly. Read briefly this story. Point out some things that you are very well acquainted with. Point out one thing. One thing that perhaps you've not thought of. Magnify that one thing. Pray and then go home. That's the plan. We'll see what happens. Because <laughs> this one is in me. Genesis chapter number 22. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Reminding ourselves that what we read here has been preserved. Every single word of it. Every single letter of it. Every single bit of its truth has been preserved from the generation in which it was first written till the generation that is gathered in this room. We are reading the Holy Word of God. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thine son, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young, young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went upon the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I with the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Boy, how many messages have been preached on that last phrase, verse number five, the faith of Abraham, that we will come again unto you. Verse number six. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Father, I pray that you would help me in these short moments. Lord, I pray that although brief in time, Lord, I pray that they would be powerful in eternity. Father, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would convict us and draw us near, change us, correct us, chasten us, and encourage us. Father, I pray that you would help me now to achieve that which you desire here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure everyone in here is familiar with this story. In fact, I know that I'm running great risk by attempting, and I do mean attempting, to preach out of this passage because I would imagine that we could probably line up everyone here in this building man, woman, and child, and you could probably step up here behind the, the pulpit and declare uh, all of the primary truths of this passage. Now, I am not trying to show you some new thing that is not in Scripture. That's not at all my intention. In fact, I always get a little nervous whenever a pastor's like, let me show you something new. My response is usually, get ready, here comes some heresy. So that's not my goal, I promise you. 
But there is something. There is something, despite our familiarity with the story, that if not pointed out to me recently, I don't know that I would have taken close note of. But nonetheless, it's there in the text. I am most interested in Isaac's observation of what is available at the sacrifice. Notice what he says in verse number 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, I have heard many wonderful messages on that question, where is the lamb? And if I could just dwell on that for just a moment and answer it emphatically, I know exactly where the lamb is. I know the lamb that was provided on that mountain was caught by its horns in a thicket, and it was provided of the Lord as a substitutionary sacrifice, if you will, for Isaac. And, and I am rejoicing because the picture that therein is this substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus made for me, and that it was not Isaac that had to be consumed by the flames of wrath in that altar, but instead there was a lamb provided by the Lord, for Abraham was absolutely right in his response that the Lord himself will provide the ram and the lamb. And when I look fast forward all the way there to the New Testament, I see the one whom John the Baptist pointed out when he said, behold, the lamb of God. which taketh away the sin of the world. And when I look to the cross, I see the fulfillment of this prophetic utterance that now I, not just Isaac, but I am taken off the sacrifice of sin that burns with fire. And the Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect and spotless lamb, was there in my place and absorbed the full measure of God's wrath against sin in my stead. And I am glad I know the answer to Abraham's question. Where is the Lamb? There it is. It's the Lamb, Jesus Christ. However, Isaac makes an observation about the things that Abraham has and things that Abraham doesn't. And the thing that they were missing, we have. They did not know the name of Jesus. They knew and they believed that this Messiah would come, but him being born of a virgin was, was not known to him. He did not have access. Abraham was well before the kings, let alone the prophets. And he didn't have the advantage of the prophet Micah declaring that that baby would be born in Bethlehem. He did not have knowledge that was given to David uh, that that baby, Jesus Christ, uh, that Messiah would come from the lineage of the tribe of Judah and would sit on the throne of David. He did not have the benefit of what Daniel said concerning uh, the coming of the Messiah after they returned so many years after returning from that captivity in Babylon. He did not have the advantage of all of those things. I remind you that even though Isaac is there, Jacob is a long way off, let alone Joseph and the other brethren. And there is so much that Abraham did not know. But here we sit and we know who the lamb is. We know that it is Jesus Christ. We know the story of how he came of that virgin Mary and was born in a sinless way and lived a sinless life and died on a, on a tree and was imputed with our sin so that we could be forgiven. We have the lamb. 
Oh, what a joyful thing. What an advantage. But there is a contrast that I would like to point out. Because when I read this, I notice Isaac's observation. He said, behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And what I now realize is that they had the fire and the wood, but no lamb. But it seems to me that we have the lamb and the wood, but no fire. What happened to that flame that's kindled in our heart for the Lord and for the things of God that consumes our mind and consumes our decisions and propels us forward to reach the world? What happened to that flame of fire that used to ignite almost every pulpit in America as men of God who had decided to live holy before him and as righteous as they could, but leaned heavily on his grace, but baptized in the Holy Spirit of God, lit themselves aflame every single time the church was gathered. And they opened that book and like a beacon of light, it pierced every every heart and invaded every home in the city because there was fire. And even though they may have had the wood and the, the fire, they were missing the lamb, but we seem to have the lamb and the wood, but we're missing the fire. Oh, fire is an important thing in the life of every single believer. For our God, the Bible says, is a consuming fire. And it is my professional and personal opinion that if you are not consumed by the fire of God, you will be consumed by your own desire and lust. I don't think you can have it both ways. Either you are consumed by God or the will of God has been consumed by our own desires. We're Where is the fire? Where is the fire? Where is the fire in our churches? Where is the fire in our Sunday school classes? Where is the fire in our our worship? Where is the fire in our homes? Where is the fire in our daily life? When the alarm goes off in the morning, do we strike the match of God's fire in our heart and purpose that we're going to burn for his glory? Where is the fire? Where's the fire? Where's the fire? All throughout the Bible, you see God's use of fire. When God decided to call a man out of the wilderness by the name of Moses, he took a little old bush and he set it ablaze. It was signal to the nation. When Elijah gathered them all together on the top of Mount Carmel, as the fire descended down, it was a signal to the nation that there is a God in Israel who is alive and who is powerful and who is capable and who is greater and mightier than any other thing that man can worship. But now I ask to this church, where is our fire? 
It was a pillar of fire by night that God used to lead the weary travelers through the wilderness. And when the nation of Israel gathered themselves together there at Mount Sinai, they looked to the top as Moses entered in that thick cloud. And if you were to go back to the book of Exodus and read the explanation of it, you would see that they saw the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain and in the eyes of the children of Israel. You see, we have the lamb. And we have the wood. The wood being the resources for this fire. But do we have that flame? Do we have that flame? See, the reason that we often lose that fire and we lose that flame is because fire has to be tended. It has to be cared for. Fire left to itself will extinguish. It will burn out. It doesn't matter how severe the fire, whether it be a forest fire that consumes half the state of California or whether it be a fire in your backyard. When all the fuel is consumed, eventually that fire will burn itself out. It's interesting to me as Isaac observes Abraham, he speaks to his father and it even says here in verse number six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and they went up together. So already he is, he is holding that fire. When Abraham looks to his son and his son looks to his father and and Abraham's son Isaac begins to speak, he he notices that, that there is no lamb but there is wood and then he notices, behold, the fire, he says. He can see it. They had no matches back then. He didn't have a little Zippo lighter. How on earth... How on earth did Abraham get fire to the top of that mountain? What was typically done, and I can't say 100% for sure, I was not there. But what was typically done in those days is that you would come to the, the fire that they were cooking on or some substantial fire that they were using to provide heat for the encampment or, or to, to, to prepare their meals. And, and what would often happen is, is they would, would take one coal, a rather substantial coal, off of that fire and they would take, take tree bark or some other harder substance that wasn't easily consumed and they would turn it into a to cone and, and tie it tightly on the end and shove a dirt down in the bottom to seal it off and then they would take that coal and they would put it down in there as well as some some smaller kindling either some smaller sticks or or dry grass and they would place it there and then quickly they would cover it again with another pile of dirt so that hardly any air could get to it at all and then they would tie up at the other end and inside that that barked cone would would burn that ember and it would smolder but in short time it would eventually in long time it would eventually go out but in a short period of time it would smolder in that cone every time they had to go a far distance they would would carry that 
coal and, and they would take that coal out and usually that is what they would use to start the beginnings of their fire. And it could be said that a man on his long journey, perhaps even Abraham as he left Ur of the Chaldees and went all the way to the promised land, that every fire that he started along the way had a starting point and it started from a fire that burned at his home there in Ur of the Chaldees. Each time igniting another fire and grabbing a coal and preserving it for a day or half a day's journey before starting the next fire and maintaining that fire and preserving a coal and saving it for the half day or the full day's journey and starting another fire with that coal and continuing the process perpetually. It could be years of fires that are burning in different places all starting with one coal. But let me tell you one thing about that process. It takes work to keep that flame burning. It takes diligence to keep that flame burning. It takes looking back to the warmth and making sure that that coal is still aglow. And when it begins to grow dim, growing fresh, fresh wind and fresh air on that coal. And I see a church sometimes where we close the doors off by the routines of our life, by the complacency of our activity, and the fire goes out and it stops burning. It smolders down to a slight little coal and you can't even remember the last time that you burned because of it. Oh, it takes tending. It takes care. Oh, we have the lamb and we have the wood, but where is the fire? Has the flame of your heart been extinguished and grown dim and the heat is no longer there from it? You ask, how do we rekindle this fire? Let me give you just two things quickly. We rekindled it first first off with a yieldedness to God. A yieldedness to God. Allowing God to expose us. Oftentimes, whenever we talk about being yielded to the Lord, we're speaking about those life decisions as we pursue God's will. But there is a more essential yieldedness that every believer needs. It is a yieldedness that that results in an openness before him that declares, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. A yieldedness that says, Lord, we are yours and we pray that you would enter in and expose every wicked thing, every unrighteousness, every coldness or hardness of our heart. And Lord, that you would convict us, that you would even bring judgment upon us if that's what it takes to reignite the flame. We, are, we seem to be more concerned about hiding our sin than flaming our fire. Oh, I believe that if we would just be naked and open before the Lord and allow him to search our hearts, that he would strike a match to the fuel that lies within us by the Holy Ghost, that we might burn bright for him again. <sighs> It's no mistake that the writer of Hebrews declares that that our God is a consuming fire. Because when you're yielded to that flame, it will consume you. It will consume and burn uncomfortably in your heart and bring conviction over things that you have been long too complacent about. 
It will burn in your heart like a desire to rid yourself of every, of every vesture of this world, of every remnant imposed upon our culture, that we would be truly pure before the Lord and stand identified with the Lamb instead of identified with this world. Always oh, a consuming fire. There should be a yieldedness to our God. A consuming, relentless, uncomfortable, yet conscious desire that we would be entirely his. That from the top of our head to the sole of our feet, everything would be consumed by the fire of his presence, by the fire of his Holy Spirit, by the fire of his word. That there would be a yieldedness to surrender all to Jesus. Because it's his anyways. Because he's worthy. The second thing that I'll point out is this, and I'll be done. And we're asking, where is the fire? And we find it so dim and cold. If we're to see that flame struck again, we need not just a yieldedness. We need a yearning. We need a yearning for our God again. A yearning for our God. When was the last time we came into church and we had just been begging God to show up? Our prayer closets sit empty. And we enter in and we spout off some words of things that we want. And we feel like the prayers just bounce right off the ceilings. But where is the yearning? Where is the yearning? With a burden in our hearts. It's not an easy thing to go into a prayer closet and get no answer because we are are so compelled to get through to God that we remain there with that yearning desire to feel his presence, to hear his voice, to see his face, that we remain there and like Jacob wrestling God, we refuse to let go until we see him. Why do you think Jesus pronounces pronounces, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because this is the kind of worshiper that God is looking for. Those that are seeking him. A heart that's yearning doesn't quit when things get hard. Doesn't quit when answers don't come easy. A heart that's yearning prays through and suffers through and agonizes when it feels like they are the only one in that prayer closet. And we agonize through until he shows up. And friends, let me tell you, he has a way of showing up for those who yearn and plead and desire for him. Where is your fire? A yearning for God. Jeremiah was acquainted with this. He had a yearning not just for his presence, but he had a yearning for his word. Jeremiah chapter number 20, verse number 29, allows us to view this conversation of Jeremiah as he says this. Jeremiah says, I will not make mention of him. He wanted to quit. 
He says, it's too hard, Lord. They don't listen to me anymore. They, they have persecuted me. They have imprisoned me. They have thrown me into this pit. They have forgotten all about me. Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. He says, I will not make mention of him, speaking of the Lord. He says, nor speak anymore in his name. Lord, it's been too hard. I can't do it anymore. Some of you know that feeling. You know that feeling of, of striving for the Lord and all you feel is resistance and, and like you can't get through and it has become so laborious, so difficult. And that was Jeremiah. But there was an ember burning in his heart. An ember, a, a small flame like the tip of a match head that could not be extinguished. And he describes it this way after he says, and I will not make mention of him nor speak any more of his name. But he says this, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. In other words, I had this fire uh, for God's word. It was kindled in my heart and I, I could not keep my mouth shut. Oh, an odd thing takes place in the life of the believer when they both want to shut up and speak out all at the same time. <sighs> Do you know that feeling? You know that feeling when you have the eternal word of God burning in your soul and there are people around you who are oblivious to the truth and you want to keep your mouth shut, but you can't. Why? Because there is a yearning for God's word. A desire that is shut up in our hearts, that is in our bones I feel that we've departed from a desire for his word like that. Oh, we stand and we sit, we bow our head and we open our eyes. We listen to the preaching time and we pray and we go on our way and we know the lamb. We have the lamb and we have the wood, but where is the fire? It is entirely true and accurate that without the fire, there's no real sacrifice. There's no real sacrifice. It reminds me of what is said in Romans chapter number 12 concerning us that, that he beseeches us, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And we take our lives and we take our resources, the wood, and we lay them all together on the off, on that altar. But without the flame, it's still a very comfortable place to be, isn't it? But without the flame, without the fire, it's still not a sacrifice, is it? I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with a challenge that I have not posed, that I have also posed to myself. So please don't think that your pastor is standing up here with condemnation against you, saying that you have no fire because I know exactly what my heart looks like at times. And I know we shouldn't compare ourselves to ourselves, but I was standing around some men last week that I had no business. 
standing next to them. And I saw the fire that was inside of them. And I thought, I don't know if my, I don't know if the fire of my heart burns quite like that. Oh, but I want it to. I want it to consume every thought. I want it to consume every work of my hands and every place that my feet walk. I want to be so much a flame for the Lord that if I ever get lost, all I got to do is turn around and see the trail of fire that I have left that brought me to this place. I want to be on fire for the Lord. Oh, we preach this all the time in youth conferences, thinking that the youth are the only ones that need to be a flame for the Lord. But I'll tell you the best way to show a teenager how to be on fire for the Lord is to lead the way by example, mom and dad. Oh, grandma and grandpa, set yourself ablaze for the cause of Christ. Where is the fire? We've got the lamb. We've got the wood. But where is the fire?